Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Aaron Walker. Aaron has been a business entrepreneur and life coach for nearly 40 years. He is the president and founder of View From The Top, a life and business coaching company that helps men grow in success and significance. He's also the founder of Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind Groups and the author of the book, View From The Top, Living a Life of Significance, and the co-author with Thomas Schwab of The Mastermind Blueprint, Building a Rich Life. Today, we're going to learn about his story, and he's going to share with us his wisdom. Aaron, can you tell me a little about your background, the work you do, and what inspired you to pursue a path in self-development? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm a 40-year entrepreneur. I started my first business at 18. At 27 years old, I sold out to a Fortune 500 and retired. I was finished forever, I thought. And uh, my wife woke me up from a nap one day uh, 18 months later, and she said, listen, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, You're extremely bored. Uh, You don't have any purpose. You've gained 50 pounds, and it's time to go back to work. So I went and bought the company I started with when I was a child. We grew it four times the size it was over the next nine years. I was headed to the office uh, on a Wednesday morning, August 1st, 2001, and a beautiful day. Everything was normal until a guy named Enrique decided to cross the street and catch a local bus, and I ran over and killed a pedestrian. And Chris, I don't know if you've ever been through a traumatic experience or not, but it really rocked my world. And I sold the company, took the next five years off and kind of learned a little bit more about myself and how to deal with, uh, having such a horrific, uh, accident and traumatic experience and went back to work. Uh, when I was 45, had a construction company, we took it to number one, three consecutive years in middle Tennessee. And then I retired at 50 and some guys in my mastermind that I'd been in mastermind with for a long time. said, what are you going to do now? And I said, nothing. I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to hang out and uh, rock myself into an oblivion. And they started laughing and guys in my mastermind group are like Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Ken Abraham, Jeff Mosley. Some of those names may or may not mean anything to you, but they said, uh, you got to coach. So I started coaching and now we have uh, clients uh, nationally and internationally. We're in eight different countries, and I'm having the time of my life coaching other men, helping them uh, develop their purpose and understand their why, and uh, I'm getting to help them accomplish things that they've never dreamed possible. I mean, this is absolutely amazing, and some of the things that you're talking about. I want to talk about some of your successes, but before I do that, I want to delve into your traumas, because I, I think that there's a lot of people who are listening to this who are dealing with their own sets of traumas. Um, one of the things I've learned is over the course of the life is that we just acquire them. And, and you talked about a pretty extreme trauma. Um, how did that experience affect you? And what were some of the things that you learned on the journey of trying to find some form of resolution? Or did you find some form of res- resolution? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, in my book, View from the Top, uh, chapter six, I call it blindsided. And that's exactly what happened to me. Things were good. You know, my business was amazing. Uh, We had two little girls by this time and uh, had a big house, had all the stuff, worked three days a week. My partner worked the other three days a week, and we did that for nine years. I mean, things were just so amazing. And then out of nowhere, this thing came and blindsided me. I don't think you ever get over a traumatic experience, but God gave me the grace to learn how to deal with it. And so that's what took five years to work through. I had counselors and coaches and uh, trusted advisors that came around me and helped me because I could have chosen to crawl under my desk in the fetal position and never came out. But I had like, kids and hopefully grandkids in the future, which we now have five grandchildren. And I said, I've got to be uh, the patriarch to the family. I've got to step up to the plate and do the thing that I know I need to do. And I can't do that if I just elect to quit. And what I discovered in that five-year period 
was that if I had gotten killed that day in that automobile accident, what would my legacy have been myself? What if that had been me stepped off the street curb and gotten run over by a bus? Like what would my legacy have been? And it would have been this poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee makes enough money to retire by the age of 27 and nobody cares. And that just felt really self-serving and really selfish. And I started thinking, well, I had great success financially, but I had no significance like the Chris Luna's of the world's life would not have been better as a result of having known me. I would have just been acknowledged as young kid retires at 27 and uh, he's had great success, no significance. And that's what I learned. And that's what the book that I wrote is about is how you can live a life of great success and significance. And I think we missed that significant piece. So that's what I learned out of that automobile accident was that we can have great significance, but it often takes a traumatic experience to wake us up and get us to realize it. One of the things that I like about the way that you communicate yourself is there's sort of a strong masculine presence, but you're also seem to be sort of sensitive and aware. And yeah, I was just going to say that that's not always been the case because when I was young in my twenties and thirties, you wouldn't have me on as your guest. I was pretty arrogant and cocky. You can imagine a kid coming from a family that never made over $15,000 a year in his life. And he retires by the age of 27. You think you're the golden child. You think that everything you touch turns to gold and you can't miss and you become arrogant and prideful and cocky and you start believing your own press clippings. And that's what happened to me. And this automobile accident really humbled me. It made me think that, you know, Hey, listen, that you're only a click away from how fragile life is. And it really humbled me in the course of my life. And, you know, what we try to teach people today is, is don't let it take a traumatic experience, uh, for you to be humble and for you not to be arrogant and cocky just because you've been successful. Yeah. Life definitely has a way of doing that to us. You've mentioned the word significance multiple times for you. What was that thing that you found that gave you significance and has that evolved over time? Yeah, I think we're in a constant state of evolution as it regards uh, our development. Uh, we got to talk about two things, Chris. Uh, first of all, we've got to talk about not only significance, but success. We have to identify what those things are for us. Most people are living a life of reactive, not proactive. Robin and I, this coming June, will celebrate 39 years of marriage, and we've been very intentional about our relationship and the things that we want. I even created a document called What Do I Want? We ask ourselves very difficult questions related to how you want to live your life. Most people get up and they go, you know, what am I going to tackle today? And can I just make more money? And, and usually it's bigger and better and shinier and faster. We just want more. And then when we get it, it's kind of like the dog that caught the car. He doesn't know what to do with it. And once they get it, it's like, well, this is not really what I wanted either. And these tangible possessions or these titles that we're so much in quest after, once we get them, they don't scratch the itch like we thought it would. And we went on to have a place on the beach and we had a place in the mountains and we had a big house. And I'm not taking away from those things. I hate it when people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. Let's take it away from <laughs> you and see how important it is. It's very important. But what we don't want to make it is our God. We don't want to make it the only reason we're doing what we're doing. So I started thinking through that and I thought, man, what does success even mean to me? Like, what does that actually mean in my life? And I started thinking through it and I said, you know, really for me, choosing my own schedule and having financial freedom is really cool. It's like when I got up today, I could decide I'm going to go to work or I'm going to go to the lake or I'm going to go on a hike or I'm going to do this podcast interview with Chris Luna. It's like I can decide and then like not boastful, but I'm not worried about paying the electric bill. Right. And that feels pretty good. And so success to me is being able to choose that schedule and having a little bit of freedom. But the bigger thing for me in success is having an engaging family and meaningful relationships. And I talk about that in my book view from the top. Our biggest asset is relationships. 
And without it, we really don't have anything. So for me, a great amount of success revolves around those relationships and family. I'm a huge family guy. I have two daughters, 35 and 31. And as I mentioned earlier, five grandchildren, they all live within five minutes of me. My two daughters work in our business. Uh, my granddaughter works in our business. I get to see our family on a regular basis. That's huge success for me. I like to have a clear conscience with every transaction. I like to lay down in bed at night and go, you know, I didn't cheat anybody today. I gave more than I asked for. I take care of myself physically. You know, I'm nearing 60 now and, uh, I still walk and take care of myself and swim. And uh, I want to do that. I want to learn to be content without being complacent. I want to have a clear sense of direction. I want to be able to dream and establish goals. I want to understand my faith. I'm a Christ follower. So I want to understand that more and trust in a higher power. I want to have meaning and purpose. And at the end of the day, Chris, I want to leave a legacy of wisdom. I want people to look back at me and go, he wasn't only successful financially, but the dude left a legacy of wisdom. And then I thought, what am I missing though? And the part for me was, was the significance. Like I had no significance. And I started thinking, I don't even know what that means. Like, what does it mean to be significant? And I thought, you know, what that really means is meeting the needs of others, right? Success is about yourself, but significance is about meeting the needs of other people, learning to fully engage people and listen intently. And I tell people all the time, stop waiting your turn to talk. I mean, like, listen to Chris and what he's saying, be involved in the now, know what's going on in this conversation, because that's significant to Chris. If I'm just waiting to ask my next question, I'm not fully engaged and I'm not paying him respect and I'm not listening. Oftentimes, Chris, people say, well, I'm busy, you know, and I can't help other people because it's not convenient. Well, we're always busy. And really when you know you've helped somebody is when it's not convenient and when you take time out of your own schedule. In all of our businesses, I've owned 14 businesses over a 40-year period. And what we've always done to be successful is we provide more than the minimal requirements. We always give a little bit extra. We always say, hey, I know you paid for this, but we want to give you a little bonus. And whatever that is in a service or a product, we've always given a little bit more. I want to give because we want to, not because I should. I want to give uh, placing my personal wants and desires aside for the benefit of others. And then at the end of the day, I want to have the foresight to be able to invest long term so that potentially I could impact generations to come. So I think you've got to do that uh, exercise in your own life and decide for yourself what is success and what is significance. Yeah, in, in so many ways, that's those are such profound questions. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about the way that they've impacted your life. Um, and it seems like, or it sounds like uh, your values, it's different when you step into a man's shoes and you experience the world through his eyes, but the things that you're talking about, I mean, I think people listening to this are, a lot of them are saying like, that sounds pretty good. I mean, that's a place that I want to get to emotionally. That's a place I would love to get to financially. I know that you've used your book as a template for a lot of people who are on that journey and trying to figure out what to do next. For somebody who is on this journey, they're little further back than you are. Maybe they're just starting out, maybe in their 30s or 40s, maybe they're in their 60s. But they, they want to get the things that um, that you're talking about. Like, what do you think are the first steps? Yeah, well, the steps are different for different people. You know, I mean, people have different life experiences and there's no recipe for success or significance. It's just a personal assessment. You know, we have to start thinking about what is really important to us. And, uh, I even wrote a white paper that we give out to people to help walk them through this. It's called a personal assessment where we talk about your identity and what your identity is tied up in. Because if your identity is tied up into titles or, uh, possessions and you lose either one of those, then you've lost your identity. And so we've got to be really careful what we tie our identity up into our ideals, the things that are important to us as individuals. We've got to talk about our relationships and the people that we spend the most time with. You know, Jim Rohn said we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. For me, there's never been a more profound quote because 
that's in actuality 100% true. If you want your game to change, you've got to get around game changers and you've got to get around people that are high level potential <coughs> movers and shakers. Now, I don't mean you have to be around people that are necessarily noted in the community, but you have to be around people that are doing things differently than you. If you want to go to the next level, for example, I play golf. Well, I'm better than the average golfer. I'm a single handicap, uh, single digit handicap golfer. But if I want to play with people, I can play with the majority of people and beat them, but I've really not up my game. So I play with people that are better than me, plus two, plus three handicapped golfers. And it always brings me to a higher level, right? They teach me things that I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And when you're around people that have been there and done that, that's why I'm such an advocate of mastermind groups, because when you surround yourself with trusted advisors that have nothing to gain or lose as a result of what they tell you, uh, they have different life experiences. They have different filters. They can go, you know, Chris, I know you've only been married for this period of time, but, uh, history dictates and teaches that if you'll do it this way, it'll work out differently for you. And you're like, man, I didn't know that. Well, no, you don't have any reason to know that because you've not been there and done that yet. And so you need to be around people that have great wisdom and great experience. So evaluate your relationships. Look at the people that you're hanging out with. I mean, are they sitting around gossiping, talking about everybody, you know, because people that sit around and do that uh, are not going to take you to a place emotionally or intellectually that you want to go because small minds talk about people. Great minds talk about ideas. And so you've got to get in that mindset to where you want to be around people that take you to a different level. You want to be uncomfortable. You want to always be being stretched and you want to listen to the consensus of the multitudes. Isolation is the enemy to excellence. And if you want to really excel in your life, you've got to get around people that can help take you to that next level. So then you've got to start talking about the occupation that you have. Yeah, are you doing it just for money or are you doing it because there's a greater why or do you have a greater purpose? See, it's like motivation won't keep you there, but so long because it's an exhaustible resource. And when you get tired because you're excited, you won't stay with it. But when you have a greater purpose, uh, that will take you there long term. And so you have to understand what your purpose is. So there's many facets, uh, Chris, to your question. But I would just suggest, first of all, that you take a personal evaluation. You look deep inside and you ask yourself these difficult questions. I think this is absolutely great advice. There's a, I want to go deeper into a few of these things. Um, the first one I want to go into is is uh, the idea of who we surround ourselves with. And for a lot of people who listen to this, there's a lot of guys who listen to this. And there's some women too, but a lot of them are guys. And a lot of them, in my experience, don't really have great male role models around them. I just took on a guy into our company recently and I end up in a mentor role where I didn't expect that I would be in this role, but um, his dad was not a very good uh, father figure and there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. And and so I end up being a, a male role model for him. And there are a lot of guys who are listening to this. I mean, we, you're talking about professional advice, but a lot of guys are looking just for men that they could admire and look up to and show them what it means to be a man and what it means to be a healthy man because our, our society has so many, what I would argue, unhealthy images of what it means to be a man. And the, I was having a conversation with my buddy the other day and he's just like, you know, for a long time I wanted to be James Bond and because I realized James Bond isn't like a real human being and the values that like it's it's fun. He drives nice cars. He has beautiful women around him, but like he's a a flat character like that's not hu how human beings really function and it's definitely not how healthy human beings function the guy's a, a, an assassin for a living it's just silly but our society has a lot of from my perspective really unhealthy models for what it means to be a man so if there's a guy listening to this and he wants to go out and find he might want to find professional mentors but he also just wants to find mentors on what he should be doing and how he should be behaving and how how he should approach the world as a healthy man how does he build those relationships? Yeah, another great question. Uh, you know, it's funny we're talking about this, and there was no uh, 
pre-interview chat related to this, but I'm writing a book right now. It's uh, titled, Who's My Mentor? And I'm co-authoring this book with Seth Bueckley. Seth is the author of a book called Ambition, and it's called Leading with Gratitude. And he and I had this very same discussion about a year ago, and we said, you know, guys today don't have mentors. And so we're going to help them understand who that is. I personally have had mentors for the majority of my adult life because I wanted to surround myself with people that were smarter than me because I felt like, you know, hey, why should I reinvent the wheel? Why don't I just get around people that have been there and done that and pay attention to what they have to say? If they've got something to gain or lose as a result of what they tell you, family members, business partners, people like that oftentimes are biased. There's a reason that they're telling you the things, but when you surround yourself with someone that doesn't have anything to gain or lose, historically, they're going to tell you the truth, right? And so that is again, why I'm such an advocate of mastermind groups. 20 years now, every week I've been in a mastermind group where I surrounded myself with amazing guys. We have iron sharpens iron mastermind groups. Now we have people in eight different countries, about 120 men, 10 guys in a group that meet together every week on a video conference and we sharpen each other and we help each other and we give resources to one another and we challenge each other. We do an accountability tool. We meet with the same people every single week and they learn who you are. They learn how you think they learn what you are on the disc profile. They know how you process things. They know how you react. They know how you listen. They know how you talk. And then when people really understand who you are, they can give you guidance. They can give you support. But if you isolate yourself and you live behind this facade and you don't want people to know the truth, uh, oftentimes we think if people know the truth about us, they won't like us. Well, there's nothing further from the truth. See, strength starts in transparency and vulnerability. And when you let that wall down and you go, hey, I'm a knucklehead, like I really don't know how to do this or I never was taught this. People go, oh, well, let me give you a hand with that or let me introduce you to somebody that can help you with that. But when you raise that veil, you raise that facade and you hide behind, um, you know, this facade that you're living, uh, you can't really learn. And so you don't have the strength. You, You don't have that foundation and that footing that provides for a great structure long term. And so I've just learned that when I allow people to get in, when I let that shell down and they see that I'm vulnerable and I'm transparent, they become vulnerable and transparent. And then we can share and then we can help one another. And that's the place that is so difficult to get to. First of all, is just for people to let that veil down. We have that macho image that alpha male raises its head. It's like, don't tell me I know everything and I know what I'm doing. Well, the truth of the matter is we don't. There are a few things that we're strong in. We have great strength and we can help other people, but there's some things that we're not good at. So I would just say, let your guard down. That's what you've got to do first. Just be willing to admit that you don't understand and you don't know, and you can get the help. Once you do that, it allows people to come into your life. It takes the barriers down and people are more apt to come and help you. But when you contend, you know everything. No one wants to be around you. No one wants to help you because you're living a lie. You're living this facade. And so I would just say not in front of the world. I would not do that. But in a closed group with a small amount of people, I would let the guard down and just say, help me because I want to get better. Yeah, there's so much wisdom here. I know as a young guy, I wanted to have the projection that I was competent and and that led to this idea that that I didn't want people to realize that I was vulnerable and especially with young guys they like to challenge each other and they they see it as a form of weakness and as I've grown older uh, and I've matured I've realized that vulnerability is a strength and that I don't know everything. In fact, I know very little. (laughs) Right. Chris, here's the truth. And I've got a little saying. I say that there's the 1830-60 rule. And what I mean by that is when you're 18 years old, you uh, think everybody's talking about you. When you get 30 years old, you don't care. And then when you get 60 years old, you find out they weren't talking about you to begin with. The truth of the matter is none of us are important enough for people to sit around the dinner table talking about you. They don't even care. Here's how that would go. Even if you had a failure, it would go, hey, did you hear about Chris? His business failed. Huh, that's interesting. Pass the potatoes. 
That's the extent of what people talk about us. Yet we let it hold us back, right? We're not vulnerable. We're not transparent. We're not honest because we think we're important enough for other people to talk about us. We're not that important. I'm not that important. You're not that important. And we let fear hold us back. And I tell everybody, I'd rather fear missing an opportunity than I fear failure. My mom had a saying when I was a child is can't, couldn't do it and could did it all. What we've got to do, do, Chris, is develop a mindset of can do. And in her book, Carol Dweck Mindset talks about having a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And when you start getting around people that have been there and done that, they open up new horizons. They show you that if you have a growth mindset and you develop an attitude of can do, and then you develop this attitude of fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure, you are hugely successful in every arena of your life, both in personal development and in financial gain. And so it's a mindset shift. The world has dealt us a hand that is not true. And that's that you've got to guard yourself, hold your cards close to your vest. Don't show, don't tell, don't let anybody in and then they'll like you. And that's just not reality. It's just not true. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. As I was thinking, I mean, there's so much wisdom that you're sharing with us. You also had a lot of really early successes at a time where you described yourself as being arrogant and very macho. And so I'm curious, what do you attribute those early successes, especially professionally, to? Yeah, I was raised uh, really, really poor. My dad was a great man. He had great character, integrity. He was honorable. If he shook your hand and told you something, you could count it as done. But he was a terrible business person. My dad didn't care anything whatsoever about making money. My dad wanted to hunt and fish on the weekends. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to provide enough money to take care of the family. And he wanted to hunt and fish. He didn't care anything about growing a business. Well, in the course of my life as a child, I watched my dad physically work harder than I wanted to work. Literally, I've watched him sweep snow off of a roof during the winter to re-roof the house to get money to buy us presents for Christmas. I watched my mom put canned goods in the pantry and nail a board over half of it during the summer. So in the winter we would have food to eat. Now I'm not trying to make anybody feel sorry for me. I'm not trying to do that. I am so thankful for my parents and what they did for me and what they taught me. But what I didn't want to do is live like that as an adult. So within me, there was a great amount of grit, determination, and perseverance. My mom had the saying, as I've already said, can't, couldn't do it and could did it all. It was like, you can do this if you want to. Michael Phelps is a hero of mine, 26 medals, the most decorated Olympian on the planet. And there's a favorite picture of mine where he's swimming in one of the meets and his strongest competition is looking at Michael, but Michael's looking forward to the goal and he finishes and he wins the 26th medal. See, we got to have extreme focus and that's what my dad's 
inability to do business gave me. It gave me the ability to focus. I knew what I wanted. Nobody was going to get in the way. I had this grit and determination. I had enough credits at the beginning of my junior year of high school to graduate because I went to night school and summer school because I wanted to work. And I approached two men with a lot of money and pitched them in going in business with me at 18 years old because no only means no for now. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And so for me, I didn't care if they said no, I'd ask somebody else. It's that determination. Well, I carried that forward into the businesses that I started. And when I got married two weeks out of high school, I told my wife, listen, we can't mess this up. We may never get another opportunity and we're going to delay gratification today. We're going to take every dollar that we make and we're going to put it back into this business. And I paid a 10 year loan off in 36 months. I was 21 years old. I had a paid for business. And then I repeated that time and time again. I took an $18,000 a year salary for nine years and we poured all the money back into the company. I could have had a bigger house, taken better vacations, had a nicer car, but I wanted to live like no one else then. So today I can live like no one else. And that's exactly what we did. And that's a quote that Dave Ramsey says all the time. We've got to delay gratification and I wanted to do it right. And I was willing to have that grit and that determination and that perseverance because I may never get that chance again. And then when I was 27, a fortune 500 came along and made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And so I was finished. It wasn't because I was so smart. I didn't even go to college. Matter of fact, I didn't go my junior and senior year of high school because I didn't have to. I had enough credits to graduate. But that determination and that perseverance and getting what I wanted was so deeply ingrained in me, that passion, that desire, that focusing on the goal, that it made me successful because I had the consistency and that determination. And that's what we've carried forward into 14 businesses. Don't let anybody else steal your dream. Don't let anybody else tell you that you can't do it because you can, if you want it bad enough, you've just got to get up every day, show up and do the work every single day. Even when you don't feel like it, Chris, you got to squeeze every drop out of the towel. When you get home at night, you got to lay on the bed and you got to go, I left it all on the field today and I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do it again. And that's what made us successful. I have a couple of questions. Um, th- sort of things I brought up as you were talking, I was in a men's group last night and we were just chatting and one of the guys was talking about his experience of just, of trying to sort of drive projects the way that you're describing, but also the struggle with not always knowing what to do. How was it that you gained the clarity to know what it is that you should be working on each day? Yeah, here's the thing, too, that uh, some people, you know, are going to resonate with what I'm about to say and other people, you know, are not. But as I mentioned earlier in the interview, I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian. And so there's three things that I do. I pray earnestly and I follow the leadership of God. I read scripture every day. I pray and I meditate. I seek out the counsel of the multitudes. And when those three things align, I go forward and I just try to be obedient to my faith each and every day and follow the leadership of God. Now, some people that resonates with others don't, but you asked this interviews about me. So I'm just telling you how I feel and how I view that. The other thing is, is that we need to have a plan. Each and every day, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I don't have the shiny object syndrome. I'm very focused. I say no more than I say yes because it gives me greater clarity. Uh, There's so many opportunities out there today. We can go in so many different directions and make money. We don't need to do that, though. We need to be an inch wide and a mile deep. Most people are an inch deep and a mile wide. They do 15 different things. They don't have the bandwidth to do anything well. And they think they can multitask. Well, that's a myth. You cannot multitask. Well, let me say this. You can multitask, but you can only focus on one thing at a time. And if you want to do things well, you've got to narrow your focus. I use the analogy of going to a heart surgeon. I wouldn't go to a heart surgeon that says, hey, I'm a podiatrist also. I'm like, get out of here, man. Give me a heart doctor. I want somebody that can take care of my heart, not my feet. But yet we think that we can do six different things and we're considered an expert in our industry. We're not, right? We get really good when we narrow our focus and go an inch wide and a mile deep. You can make all the money you want if you narrow your focus. If you're talking to the world, you're talking to nobody. If you talk to a narrow audience and you're very specific and you're laser focused, 
then you can become hugely successful at your task or your trait. I was thinking, I'm looking at my notes as we're talking. Um, you mentioned the idea of saying no more than you say yes. And we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded with distractions, right? And especially for the younger guys listening to this, like they grew up on these different apps and this 24-hour news cycle where they are also, the news is constantly bombarding them on the internet. They don't get mail once a day. They get emails throughout the day. I mean, we all do, but they've never known anything different. And like this bombardment of information can be incredibly distracting in a way that I don't think people are, are necessarily conscious of, especially if they don't have anything to juxtapose it to. So for somebody who's listening to this and they're trying to figure out what it looks like to say no more often than you say yes, like how do you, how do you create an environment that allows you to incubate yourself and focus? And I have a feeling that somehow there's a correlation with your family. I, I want to go, I want to touch on that in a second, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, the thing is, is we need boundaries and there's no boundaries anymore. And so my family absolutely is priority in my life and I could work more. I could make more money. I could be gone speaking more. I could write more books. I could lead more mastermind groups. I could do all those things at the expense of my family. And I'm not going to worship at the altar of the dollar. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to come home with a pocket full of money to a house full of strangers. You know, if I don't know my little boy's baseball coach and my little girl's piano teacher, and I'm never at the events and I'm never at their ball games, uh, what we're going to do is come home and provide a great big house to a family that you have no relationship with. And we spell love T I M E. And if you're not giving time to your family and you're worshiping at the altar of a dollar, uh, you're going to pay huge expense for that later on in your relationship uh, disconnect with your family. Cause what's going to happen one day is somebody else is going to catch your spouse's eye or your kids are going to grow up and they didn't even know their dad. And then you're going to wonder why your kids don't have any time for you. And you're going to go, okay, I'm retired now. I've got time for you. And the kids are going to go, sorry, dad, I've got to build my own life. And I don't want to do that. And so I prioritize my priorities. What I say is, is these are the things that are most important to me. And I'm going to build my schedule around that. The problem is, is we don't do that today. The problem is, is that we're out there wanting bigger, better, shinier, faster, and more. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to keep up with the Joneses rather than going, Hey, my spouse is at home. I need to spend quality time. My kids are there. I need to be at their ball games. Yet we book our calendar solid with things that we're pleasing the world and we're sacrificing our families. And I'm just not willing to do that. So I build boundaries in every area of my life. I say, this is the amount of time I'm willing to allocate and it'll have to work around that. And so for me, it's just building a schedule of things that are important. You said early in the podcast that you have a list of things that you want to do. And, but you also mentioned that from my memory that you talked to your wife about that. And so I'm assuming it's probably not just things that you want to do. It's things that you both want to do. I, I'm curious, what is your communication like with your wife? Because I, I mean, when I think about even scheduling as a young guy, um, there's oftentimes a huge focus on being successful and, and driving that in at the cost sometimes of our relationships. And, but that those relationships can give us incredible foundation to do more. So yeah. Can you expand on your relationship with your wife and yeah, sure. Well, first and foremost, my wife, uh, from a carnal standpoint, is the most important person on the planet. Uh, Robin and I, as I said earlier, will celebrate 39 years of marriage in June. And we have rules in our house that if we both don't agree, we don't do it. Now, we may fight and argue it through. I mean, listen, I'm you know, just as human as the rest of you cut me, I bleed and I have problems and I have ego problems and I have pride problems and I have issues just like all of us do. But the thing is, Robin and I are a team, right? It's not, I don't lord over her and she doesn't do things without my approval and I don't do things without her approval. 
we're, we're a partnership and, and we sit down and we talk through things and we agree. And sometimes we agree to disagree. And then other times we go to a counselor or a coach, or we go to somebody that can help us resolve these issues. We're committed for this, for the long term, we don't say, Hey, you know, if you don't agree, I'm going to take my ball and go home or we're going to get a divorce. You know, we never say those things to each other. It's like, you know, we fuss and fight and everything just like everybody else. But at the end of the day, uh, we're a partnership and we've got to agree, uh, on the things that we're going to do. And so we have great communication. Uh, we set often and we plan what we're going to be doing as far as to how we give money away and the things that we want to buy and the things that we're willing to delay and the things that we're willing, uh, not to give up and not compromise on. It all comes down to communication. And if you're not communicating well with your partner, you're going to have huge, huge, uh, expenses to pay long-term as a result of poor communication. And so I just suggest that, uh, not to make it more difficult than it is, but just get in there and talk through it. I have some more questions about how you met your wife and things like that. But I, I want to ask you a little bit about communication because for a lot of guys, it's hard for them especially younger guys to express their emotions and express what they're feeling, let alone even identify it. So how did you acquire this? Because you're doing it so well on the podcast. Well, from the school of hard knocks, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I didn't know all this as a young guy. And, uh, as you live life, you start learning a few of these things. And the other thing is that we've already talked about it is having mentors in your life, having trusted advisors, having a mastermind group that you can go to, uh, the quote I said earlier, isolation is the enemy to excellence. And that's the thing that we primarily do most is we isolate ourselves and then we insulate ourselves where we pull aside and we don't share. We're not vulnerable. We're not transparent. We're not honest. And so therefore you never get better. But I've been willing to pull back the whole curtain and say, Hey, here I am the good, the bad, the ugly. You take it for what it's worth. I want to get better. I sent out a list of questions. Uh, yesterday, actually day before yesterday. Um, and, and I've done this a number of times and in our community, I presented these questions. Also, there's 20 questions. And in the questions, I'm just saying, you know, do you see me as condescending or arrogant? Or when I talk, do I offer great advice or just, am I babbling? Do you see me gossip? Do you see me treating my family with respect? Uh, do you see me embellishing any of the facts? And the list goes on and on. And I send these questions to people that have known me for years and decades. And then the responses come back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm scared to read this, but I want to get better. And the only way I can get better is if people tell me the truth. And so I just really lay myself out there and say, the only way I can get better is surrounding myself with these people and asking these embarrassing, tough questions so that I can sharpen my ax. I want to cut well. And the only way I can cut well is if you sharpen your ax. And so that's just what I, I do that every day. It's the personal development side so that I can live life to its fullest so that I can live an adventure. So I don't live a lie so that I am vulnerable and transparent so I can help other people. And now I'm a mentor as well as a mentee. And so it can go both ways, but you just have to put yourself out there and be willing to do these exercises. I want to ask you more about the mastermind group, a little bit more about your book. And I, um, before I do, I want to go to, go back to the subject of your wife. You met your wife at a pretty young age. It sounds like how old were you when you met her? Yeah, I was 17 years old. She was 16 years old and, uh, it was a Friday night and we were at a place called Shoney's. It was a restaurant where all the teachers hung out and I met her then we started dating. And then two years later we got married. I waited on her to get out of high school and, Two weeks after she graduated, we got married. Why was it that you chose her? She uh, actually told her girlfriend the night she saw me before we were ever even introduced that she'd marry me someday. And I thought that was funny. I said, why did you say that? She said, well, because you looked exactly like the person I'd been praying for. And then when I met you, I realized that you were that person. We started dating and uh, fell in love. And then uh, two weeks out of high school, we get married. So... It was just an amazing thing. I look back now and think, my goodness, I was 19. She was 18 when we got married, but I wouldn't trade it for anything today. What was it that stood out to you about her then? 
you know, she was beautiful as she is now. Uh, she was smart. Uh, she was witty. Um, uh, and she was beautiful and that's what stood out initially. And then as, uh, fell in love with her, I grew to respect her more because she was very vulnerable and transparent. She was very honest. Uh, I don't know that I've ever, ever in, since our marriage or even known her, we've known each other over 40 years now. I, I can't think of one time I've ever caught her in a lie and she's just been an amazing, amazing lady. What has surprised you the most because I mean she's probably a very different person than she was when she when you met her maybe she's not maybe that's been consistent but I'm, I'm curious like it sounds like she's been a great partner for you so what are the things that have surprised you in this journey well I don't know that I've been surprised uh, because we've been very uh, forthcoming in our relationship uh, I don't know that I've really been surprised Chris quite honestly uh, just knowing her character uh, in the beginning stages and choosing a person, uh, of faith, you know, as she's a Christian as well. And, uh, our faith teaches us to not be unequally yoked and being both believers and trusting in God, uh, has paid a huge dividend in our marriage. Um, we have that common denominator and when we can't reach a resolution on our own, uh, we go to God for uh, guidance and direction. And so that's been probably the salvation of our relationship and our marriage. I want to shift a little bit towards the mastermind groups. Um, if someone's listening to this, I mean, it's, it's very clear how your spirituality, how your partnership have been instrumental in your success and growth as a human being, but also this group of elders you've talked about. Um, if somebody's interested in finding that group of mentors, they're interested in getting involved in a mastermind group. Can you talk a little bit about how they might find one? And then once they find one, how, what they might expect out of the group and what they might expect to contribute to the group? Sure. Mastermind groups, uh, has been around forever. I mean, that's not a new concept. The way we do it is personal and professional development. It's all encompassing. I don't teach one or the other. Matter of fact, I refuse just to teach you how to make money because I don't want you to do it at the expense of your family. In our mastermind group, we have man in the middle every single week when we meet on the video conference call to where you are the central focus. We read a book every month. There's predetermined questions for the book that we read. Uh, we have two live meetups a year, uh, normally here in Nashville where I bring everybody in at my expense. All you got to do is get there and I pay for everything else. Uh, it's part of your dues that you pay. Um, we have an accountability tool that you fill out every single week on the 10 top most important things in our life. You rank yourself. It keeps you front and center. We have a Facebook group for each group. We have one Facebook group for all the groups. We have 13 groups now. Uh, there's people that are just starting out. And there are people that do 50, $75 million a year in top line revenue. So there's always people that you can look up to and there's always people behind you that you can help. So I set it up very intentionally that way. There's a 27 page directory where you have total access to everyone that is in the groups, both nationally and internationally. There's expert interviews that I do each and every month with named professionals that you're involved in the interview. Uh, there's huge amounts of resources. Uh, we're always doing beta tests. We're always encouraging one another with resources to help with raising your family and your children and how you can grow personally. So there's just so many benefits to being involved in Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind Group that it would take another interview to tell you. But if you're interested in that, just go to viewfromthetop.com and uh, it will tell you exactly how you can get involved. Awesome. Maybe we'll take you up on that offer for another interview. <laughs> um, That'd be great, man. I'd love to come back. And I know we're ending our time now, but I've really enjoyed being with you, Chris. This has been a great interview and you're a great host and you've asked some amazing questions. So I just want to thank you for having me on. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I have one last question and it's regarding your book and you've already shared so much wisdom. What caused you to want to write the book? And for somebody who picks it up and starts reading and what can they expect? Well, first of all, I didn't want to write the book. 
because as I told you earlier, I was in a mastermind group for a dozen years with Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Ken Abraham. Ken Abraham's got over a hundred books in print that he's written. Dave Ramsey's got over a dozen. Dan Miller's got 10. Uh, these guys have written so many books and they've sold millions of copies. And I'm like, who would want to read my book? Right. And so Ken Davis is a guy in a mastermind group with me. He wrote the book fully alive national and international speaker travels all over the world telling his story. He said, listen, when I wrote my book, 17 people emailed me and they said, I didn't commit suicide as a result of having read your book fully alive. He said, if you touch one person, will it not be worth it? And I said, you're dead gum right. It'll be worth it. And I'm going to write the book. It took me 18 months to write this book. And I'm very transparent. I'm raw in the book. I tell exactly what I think I tell about, uh, time in the book that I was going to kill someone and I had the gun in my hand and, uh, I stopped and I couldn't believe I was at that point. I tell about the wreck in the book. I tell about how I overcame great obstacles throughout my life. I tell about starting a business with no money because I came from a very poor family. I talk about choosing wisely in the book and the people that surround you. I talk about don't work to quit because if you're doing that, you're going to be sorely disappointed with the outcome. I talk about bitterness in the book and where I was extremely bitter at some people in my life. And it wasn't until I have forgiven them to where I could move on. And I'm just very vulnerable in the book. And, uh, hopefully if you get a copy of this book, it'll be worth your time to read, but it's in all the bookstores. It's, uh, on Amazon. You can get it anywhere. It's called view from the top. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been awesome. And if you're interested in learning more about Aaron, his mastermind groups, his book, everything that he's doing, I am going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of the podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. Thank you again. I enjoyed it, Chris. Have a good one, buddy. We'll see you. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.